Hey, everybody, it's Daphne from Laura Entertainment. We are sitting down with an impromptu interview with the Mr. Uh, David Roundtree, my old acting coach and good friend. How are you doing? I am doing well. I'm enjoying a nice day out here in sunny Los Angeles. Uh, it's a little windy, uh, windier than normal, but uh, it's a nice day. I'm able to wear a short sleeve T-shirt and shorts and uh, unlike most of the country right now, so I'm not going to complain. <laughs> You know. It's good to see you. We haven't talked in so long, except for Instagram here and there. Right. Yeah, I've been able to keep up with you on Instagram a little bit. We haven't actually spoken in person in quite some time, so I'm happy we could uh, get this organized today and happy to be a part of it. It should be fun. Oh, yeah. I'm happy to have you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So what have you been up to? Well, um, a lot, as always, with the with the strike just now ending, it's kickstarted a lot of stuff back that's been dormant for a while. You know, I've been a I've been a director now for a little over twenty years and um, producer and writer. I started off as an actor, um, so we've got a lot of things in the works that got sidelined when the writer strike hit, and then when the SAG strike hit, on top of that, we really just let everything lay. And then when the writer strike ended, of course, we wouldn't want to go back to work and do anything until the SAG strike ended, so it just ended. So now we're kind of uh regrouping and figuring our next game plan but then being at the end of the year nothing's really going to get going until january so it's in that weird weird time right now where it's kind of this limbo world trying to figure out what things are going to happen so uh doing that of course i got a daughter who is in just started uh middle school and um she's enjoyed the last three years being on her own television show so we've been staying busy with that and um a lot of stuff it's a lot of a lot of interesting stuff out here in, in los angeles you know how old is chloe now She's 11. She'll be 12 uh, next month, actually. So she's wow. closing in on that, those teenage years, you know? Yeah, those are the fun years. <laughs> well, not, not for the parent, I don't think. I think for the kids, maybe. She's, yeah, she's already, you know, 11 going on 18, I think. So, um, yeah, she's... <laughs> she's still working? Yeah, she did. So she did all three, th- three seasons of her show. She was on Home Economics, of course, on ABC. She was one of the series regulars on that, played Topher Grace's daughter. And um, with the writer strike hitting, the show was kind of left in limbo. It looked like it was going to get picked back up again. And then the SAG strike hit and everything was just delayed over and over. And then ABC decided not to renew the contract. So the show did get canceled this year, unfortunately. Um, so we'll see. It was a really nice three years. There, there's still outside chance to get picked up by somebody else. We don't know. I know the writers uh, and creators, Michael Colton, John Abood, seemed um, uh, at least optimistic things might happen, but I haven't heard anything about that in a while. So I don't know. Again, nothing's really going to happen. I think to the new year anyway, Yeah. as it, as it goes on. Um, but you know, either way she had three, three good years of being a series regular on a show working every single day, which is a, a huge accomplishment for anyone. Um, you know, her being a kid, it's interesting. We, we've never put pressure on her to do anything. Of course I'm in the business. My wife was in the business. So, um, never put pressure on her to do anything, but she's grown up in the industry. So to be able to, to partake and be a part of a major television show for three years was a, was a fun thing. And she got to see that side of it and she enjoys it. So as long as she enjoys it, she can keep going, you know? Yeah. I, I don't believe in forcing kids to do things. You know what I mean? As far as the industry, because my daughter, she, she wants no part of the camera. That's good. You nothing know? wrong with that at all. <laughs> There's Voice nothing wrong over, with that. animation. Right. Yes. Camera. Hell no. Right. You are lucky to even get pictures of her. Yeah. 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 We're the same way. Uh, pictures are very rare. We don't, we don't do a lot of events. Um, we really don't do any events with her. Um, her social media, we really never pushed anything like that. Uh, mm-hmm. She's had film roles come in where we kind of told her the, the concept of it. And she's like, I don't want to do it. And we're like, great. Okay. Pass on it. We just passed on an audition today. For a show. Um, just because at this point in her, in her time, we, uh, didn't feel this, this type of show was right for her. So, uh, we talked to her about it. She goes, I don't want to do it. It's like, great. Don't do it. Um, she's passed on big movies that came across because the content wasn't, you know, something she was comfortable with and we're fine with that. So, uh, for me as a director, I, I definitely respect that. And, um, you know, again, as long as she's happy doing it, that's fine. We want her also to be a kid and enjoy being a kid, you know, that's so the way it should does. be. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, seriously, that's the way it should be. I've had people, you know, I've watched them get on to their kids because they're living vicariously through their children. And then it's always a conflict. And I'm like, I would never manage anybody who was under 18. Right. Just because of that. It's it's too much of a challenge. And it is, it is a worker with the parents and being a director. I've, I've done many projects. We've had to actually cast, you know, kids uh, in there. And I always tell the parents we're casting the parents too, because it's not just, 
it's the kid in front of the camera, but it's the parent behind the scenes also we have to work with. And if we don't get along with the parents, then I'm not going to bring the kid on no matter how good the kid is because it is a working relationship. And I think, I think seeing that side of it, you know, I have no problem with my daughter saying, I don't want to do this, this role, but she still loves acting. And she's, you know, even from an outside perspective, I think she's really talented at what she does and she enjoys it. All the kids on her show were super talented. When you watch them work, they're phenomenal. They're not like normal kids. We've coached kids. We've coached kids at all levels as well at our studio. And it's the same thing. We see, um, you know, quite a range and some kids really early on pick it up pretty well. And there's a difference between those kids and kids who are just, you know, the parents are kind of making them go and you feel it when they're in the room, you feel it that I'm only here because mom wants me to be here. I'm only here because dad wants me to be here as opposed to the kids who are really hungry and really enjoy what they're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, yeah, a, that's what we're trying to do. <laughs> she's adorable. I remember last time we did talk. Oh my God. That was a while back. She was uh, doing Spanish, learning yeah. the Spanish side of it. Well, she's, yeah. She's fluent in Spanish. She's completely fluent right now. She's learning Japanese. She's learning Korean on her own. She just wants to do it. So we're encouraging her. We've got the Duolingo app. And now she's challenged me to learn Japanese too. And now I'm trying, oh man, I'm so bad. I am horrendous. <laughs> and, and she quizzes me and is relentless. She's like, she's like Mr. Miyagi over top of me saying, what is the answer to this? What is it? I'm like, I don't know. And she's like, dad. I'm like, oh my gosh. So she's, <laughs> she, paint the fence, paint the fence, <laughs> wax on, wax off. I know. And, and she's, she's on me about it every day, but I've got like an 18 day, 18 day streak now on my, my Japanese Duolingo app. And, um, I'm, I'm working on it. I'm getting there. I'm really bad. She's way better than I am at anything like that. But, um, but it keeps, it keeps me working in the right direction with things too. I so. was doing French on the same app for a while because I nice. learned French when I was younger. I had to brush up on it. Yeah. I can yeah. read it, but it was relearning it. You know, I right. can read it, no problem. But relearning it, it, I guess because I'm older than when I took it. So now it's taken a minute to set back into my head. Right. You know, but sure. Japanese, hell no. There's no way in how I could learn that. Oh, my gosh. I'm trying to learn the characters <laughs> on how to write them. It's, I can't do it. I mean, I'm sure I can, but it's, it's hard. It's very difficult. And she picks up things so fast. And I think being, you know, a kid 11 years old, they are like sponges. They pick up things much faster, but she's, <laughs> she's like, dad, we just went over this. How do you not know this? I'm like, I don't know. My brain's broken. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. So <laughs> don't you think that's weird though? In other countries, they say that, um, our language is hard to learn. Right. And when you, when you reverse the role, you know, it's just like, yeah, there's no way in hell. Right. Because English to us, of course, is so easy but I, I don't know. I've never been in that situation. <laughs> right. There are a lot of rules in English that make it more challenging, which I can see that side of it, but it's, we've done it our whole lives, so it doesn't register. But yeah, the, the languages are, it's a challenge. I speak Spanish, sort of, nowhere near as well as my daughter, but uh, you know, picking up a third language on top of that is, I don't know. I'm not giving up though. I'm still working on it. So a year from now, we'll do another <laughs> interview and I will do the entire thing in Japanese. That's really a lie, but I'll, I'll say that now to be working. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't understand you. <laughs> Maybe That's I can get away with titles. it. Yeah, right. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so what projects, do you got any projects? I mean, that you can talk about that are going to be, you're going to be working on next year? A little bit. I, I've been in development on a TV series uh, for some time now. And uh, I can't really go into details about what the show is, which is really yeah. good. I, my, my co-creator is a... Um, a, a really moving from really, really good friends over the last several years. And um, it all started kind of when COVID hit, we we're both sitting around. We've talked about working together for many, many years. We've never done it. And uh, it just kind of came about where we had downtime. And so we created the series, which is really fun. And um, it's, it's really moving in a very, very, very positive direction right now. We have the entire first season is completely written and in development at the moment, and it looks great. So we're happy with that, but I can't go into details yet about too much about it. What's um, it called? I can't even say that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a fun show that's set in 1987, which is really fun, which is a, a, a really wonderful time period when you look at it because there's a lot of things going on. Um, and the type of story, it's a uh, Goonies meets uh, Stranger Things meets Lost Boys minus the vampire sci-fi kind of thing. It's that Stand By Me the, the up and coming, the, the kids growing up and hitting different um, milestones in their lives as they're all coming of age, you know, in this thing. And the way we're telling it is very, very fun where um, the stories kind of backtrack and tell uh, episode two kind of picks up pieces of episode one we didn't see and the scenes interact. And it's very, very creative the way it's told. 
and uh, it's got some traction. So, uh, but it's it's a lot of fun. at least really it's fun don't have the one guy, uh, the guy in the oh my god, it <laughs> with the blue <laughs> yeah transitioning not... among their lives later yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to be there. That's not going to be there. But um, I but I have done. <laughs> I have done a lot of in my in my career. I have done a lot. Of, I've done six feature films now. So as a director producer um i've done a lot of dark twisted things horror thriller kind of movies as well and um i've never had a monster movie so to speak i've done i've done character horror we've had a primary character that is on the lines of like a monster but i've never done like a you know friday the 13th or jeepers creepers um now jeepers creepers is interesting because um they've done three of those now and the guy jonathan breck plays the creeper he plays the main monster and all the makeup for all the, for the entire movies my very first feature i directed he was my lead one of my leads which is really cool with him good friends i started off as an actor and i met him in oklahoma in a film that we worked on together and um i had this script that i wrote because everyone kept saying you have to do a feature i've done a bunch of short films you have to do a feature gotta do a feature so i wrote one and um, I knew nothing about doing a feature film. I was trying to find a director to do it. And I talked to Jonathan and I asked him, I said, hey, would you mind reading it? We had all this downtime on set. And he said he would. And he read it and he said, it's got some legs. Um, and he goes, you got to find a way to make it. Just find a way to get it done. It's your first one. Don't expect it to be a big blockbuster. Don't expect it to be, you know, Oscar winning performance or anything like that. Just get it done. And I said, okay, I'll get it done. But you have to agree to be in it. Because <laughs> I need a name to get my movie made. And so he agreed. And that's how I got my first feature film made. Um, so he was a part of it, but it was a train wreck. It was so many things that on the side, because I was a director, I was a writer, I was also a producer of this thing. And, you know, um, as we've talked about, producing is very challenging because there's lots of different people have different hats on and there's lots of people putting their hand in and, and saying things, saying they'll do things and not coming through, or some people come through more than expected. And it's, you know, you learn as you go. And my first feature, I made 10,000 mistakes, so many mistakes. And then it got better. My second one, I made, I made less mistakes of those, but I made bigger mistakes because the budget was higher. My film after that, I eliminated a lot of those, but the budget was even higher and I made even more mistakes on a bigger scale, but I fixed all the small ones. So you go, you know, you get better as you go. Um, producing's not easy. Uh, I'm not necessarily a fan of producing. I have now produced quite a few, but it's not um, something I really get excited about. I like the creative side, <laughs> but the creative side often comes with the business side and it is a business. So you got to learn how to balance it all. And that's, that's yeah. the biggest challenge, I think, putting it all together. Producing's not very, I mean, it's worth it in the end, mm -hmm. but people don't realize that you are literally responsible for everything. Oh yeah. Everything. I mean, oh, yeah. everything. And it's just, sometimes it could be overwhelming. Sometimes. sometimes. Always. <laughs> Always. Yes. You're well, right. it, you is, know. it can be. Yeah. I know. And then other times you want to be curled up in a corner somewhere with a bottle of tequila. <laughs> <laughs> right. Absolutely. It's factors, Absolutely. you know, I guess, but I mean, at the end of it, then you've got something really awesome. Right. You know, that, and that's one reason I, I enjoy feature films is it's like a, it's like an individual project this kind of um, encompassed inside like a little balloon. And so when that when you're done with that project, you take the balloon, you put it away and it's done and then you can move on to something else, yeah. you know. And so I do enjoy that aspect of it. Therefore, if if you have six balloons and one's not so great, it's, it's not the end of the world. But, um, you know, you can move on and do something else. But each one builds. So each one that I've done, um, you know, has has gained the next one for me along the line. I've been very fortunate. My last two were in theaters across the country. So that was a big accomplishment. I have one of my movies is actually in theaters in India at the moment, which is kind of cool. Um, it, it was scheduled to go into theaters back before COVID hit when COVID hit all theaters shut down. So they sidelined it, didn't do anything. And they just brought it back about six months ago. And um, at the moment, it's still running over there. As far as I know, I, I think it is still, yeah. um, you know, so having stuff out there is kind of cool because I made that movie um, way back before COVID and it still has life to it, which is kind of fun. So when you do a project, you can they take that balloon and they can bring it back out and play it again, you know, which is kind of fun. But as far as my produ producing work on that side, I'm done with it. So now it's just kind of a bonus that it gets done and I'm, you know, trying to find the next, next thing. And I do have a couple of scripts that I'm working on in the, in the creative side of writing, uh, which mm -hmm. I'm excited about. Uh, it's just finding time to put it all together. You know, that's, that's the challenge. Are you still doing the studio? Oh yeah. The studio. Yeah. We have a studio. So we're LA acting studios, um, which is, you can look us up as easy laactingstudios.com um la for los angeles of course and um we we have almost um most i think you've never been there have you you've seen it maybe online when we did no i was i was gonna come um out there 
and then that was all when COVID was going down, right. remember? And then right, we all right, got right. sidetracked on that and I didn't get to make it out there. But yeah, when I'm right. out there, I'm definitely going to stop in. Yeah, stop in. Um, yeah. It's, it's fun. We have, um, so we're the only acting class that, I, that I'm aware of anyway that has uh, actors train on real film sets with real film crews and real cameras. Mm -hmm. So most acting classes are designed as like an open stage. You kind of get in there and you just do your thing. For me as a director, the biggest thing I found was that only goes so far as far as the acting process goes because you learn how to be raw and emotional. But in film and television, we're telling stories inside little boxes. And if you don't know how to play inside of a box, you're done. And it really hurts you when you come to set. And so many times I've passed actors who come into work and they don't know how to play inside of a box. They're used to the big stage environment. They're never held accountable for continuity, for audio, for blocking for all the little nuances that have to be done to tell a story, because in the end, filmmaking is the visual art of telling stories. We're telling stories. So we have to learn how to physically tell the story, emotionally tell the story. And classes I hear, unfortunately, most of them are just the emotional side of telling a story, how to get to that raw emotional place, but that may not be the most interesting story. So we're really teaching storytelling. Um, I was very fortunate. I taught film for a long time. Um, many years ago in the early two thousands, I taught film for eight years at a, at an environment where I was, uh, privileged to teach a lot of high profile kids. I mean, like, uh, not five-year-olds, but you know, 14, 15, 17, 18 year old kids. Um, I taught Schwarzenegger's kids, Sylvester Stallone's kids, Harrison Ford, Oliver Stone, Jack Nicholson, Reese Witherspoon, Adam Sandler, Harrison Ford, a bunch of them. But Callie Clovis is one of my kids that I worked with and Callie's father, Steve Clovis, who wrote all the Harry Potter movies. <laughs> so Steve became very instrumental early on in my career for, really helping me understand storytelling and the art of storytelling and how to go about it and do it and kind of pointed me in the right direction for my career to kind of propel and move in the right direction as a writer, as a director, because even as a director, I didn't understand storytelling when I first got started. Once I really understood how kind of it all works, it changed the way I look at things, which really helped kickstart my career. So being in that environment, it changed the way now that I write, the way I direct, the way things are edited, also the way I coach my actors. And I try to teach actors to understand this art of storytelling because they don't understand storytelling. They can be very, very believable, yeah. but it doesn't mean it's interesting to anybody else. And if an actor say, well, I, I've, I've been in jail. That's not how I played it in real life. I'm like, yeah, but if there was a camera following you 24 hours a day in jail, how much of that would actually be interesting in a movie? Maybe an hour's worth of it, maybe 20 minutes of it. Right. So it's not about playing it realistic all the way. It's finding the best story in it so you can get the audience engaged in what you do. And so we really teach that at our studio and actors get all their footage, which is fun. Um, even our online class is the same thing. So we really teach story, how to break down material so actors can see the best story and what we're doing, not just being believable. So it's yeah, that that's funny. <laughs> Well, that's not how I played it in real life. Okay, what the hell did you go to jail for? <laughs> exactly. That was my question. <laughs> that's a real conversation I had with an actor one time. I'm like, why what did are you, you go really to jail? doing in the jail? <laughs> exactly, right? She's like, I just sat there and slept all day. That's what honestly what she told me. And I was like, okay, well, who's going to want to watch you sleep for two hours in a movie or four minutes in a scene? It's not interesting. It's not wrong. And I tell them it's not wrong but it's not interesting. And we have to understand filmmaking is the visual art of telling stories and also audio has a lot to do with it too, but it's, it's storytelling. So if we can't tell effective stories, we're not gonna get the audience to engage. They're not gonna care in what we do and they're gonna tune us out. And today's world is a 30 second world. It takes no time for somebody in the audience to pick up their phone and start checking their text messages. Or if they're watching something on television, go, let's see what else is on, right? If you pay $18 or $25 for a movie ticket, you're probably gonna stay in the movie theater and watch it no matter what because you paid that much, but you got to understand storytelling. And if you don't understand it, we're going to lose the audience and they're not going to go back and see anything else you ever do or care. If you're, if you're in a movie and you're boring, they're not going to go watch it, right? Exactly. If some of these big movie stars, there's a reason why we like them. There's a reason why it's because they're compelling to watch on the screen. And so we really try to work that aspect of it. As a director, I've worked hard to tell stories like that. Um, at our studio, we've done several short films on top of that where actors can work. Um, one of our films recently went to the Cannes Film Festival a couple of years ago. So that was a big accomplishment, you know, to get something all the way to really next to Sundance, the most prestigious film festival on the planet. Yeah. Although in Cannes, they may argue theirs is the most prestigious, which maybe it is, but you know, um, <laughs> I don't know, but to get a film all the way to there. And again, it was, it was a, a really good story that our actors brilliantly portrayed the, the story and didn't just focus on how can I just be raw and emotional in the scene. So, so a, lot of, a lot of little nuances go into it. That's what we work on. 
So how's football going along? Are you still playing? <laughs> played in a long time. Holy cow. <laughs> Holy cow. Um, I, I thought after, you were going to go back into it. I remember last time. That's what yeah, we were talking about. You going I back know. into football. I think that was more of a, a, a wild dream. Um, so <laughs> after 13 knee surgeries and a spine surgery, I think it's safe to say my career is done. Um, oh, shit. Yeah. Um, you know, I did, I did get my look. So, you know, being a college athlete, I was drafted in football and the, the RFL regional football league. I had to look at the Washington Redskins, um, you know, and anytime a kicker miss a kick in a game, I get my, my text messages flood in. Hey man, you do up for kick horse. They're just, you know, kind of messing around me at this point. Um, uh, so that's kind of fun, but I did the last several years, uh, help out at Los Angeles Valley college and I helped their kickers over there and helped uh, train them so they can learn and get better with what they do. And I would go out there and kick some balls around with those guys every once in a while, you know, and yeah. every once in a while, old man's got to show them they can do it a little bit, you know, <laughs> show them what's up. But I, I don't think I could do it. For, I have no desire to do it anyway. At this point. It's like Burt Reynolds in the new longest yard. <laughs> hey, old man, what are you doing out here? I'm like, yeah, I know that's me. That's me. So, yeah. I'm about but, to open up a can of whoop ass. <laughs> exactly. But I was a wide receiver and a defensive back all through college as well. So I got out there and I can mix it up with those guys a little bit enough to let them know, at least so they can respect that I used to have some skill back in the day. But, <laughs> but these kids today, they're, they're pretty talented. So, um, you yeah. know, hanging with them out on the field is, it's, it's a fun challenge, you know, and, and, and I play the part, but as soon as I walk off the field, I'm out of sight. I start limping and my back hurts for a week. So I'm just like, okay, I'm good. I won't let them see that, but you know. <laughs> you hide the ibuprofen. <laughs> oh, it, I don't even hide that anymore. I'm just like, all right, we're getting ready to go. Let me take four of these things. Here we go. Yeah. So the trainer's like, okay, I, I'm on standby. I'm watching you. Just let me know when you're ready for me. I'm like, yeah, won't be long. Stretcher standing by. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But yeah, but uh, I, I do have fun with it. Um, you know, I, I talked to a kicker yesterday about going out and working with him again a little bit. And it's fun just getting out there. It does help me at least feel reasonably younger at times, just being out there and that I'm able to contribute and help these kids out too. And I say kids, but they're college they are 21 years old. So, but they're kids, you know, I do the same damn thing. And my right. kids are God, 28 down. Yeah. And yeah. it's just like, you, you see all these, <laughs> well, they're adults, but to me, they're, they're not, you know, I still yeah. look at them like they're kids. I know they're kids. You know, know. <laughs> don't call me that. That's what you hear. Oh gosh, I know. Even these college kids, they're athletes, they're college athletes, but I still talking to them just there there's a different level, you know, where yeah. you really still feel like they're kids at some point. Of course, they they'll argue with you on it. Even my eleven year old, she's not she's an adult in her eyes. You know, as they go through. You know what pisses me off when they you guys are old. Because <laughs> you're yeah. over 30. You're old. What the hell, man? <laughs> I know. I know. I know. I started getting the grades popping in and, you know, and, uh, you know, trying to at least feel reasonably young as I go through. But, you know, it's OK. I I'm embracing it reasonably well, I think. Um, you know, I still I still <laughs> I go to the gym still six days a week. I've been working out, trying to stay in shape that way, at least. And, you know, feel decent at times but it hurts when i get up in the morning i feel my back i feel my knees it's not gonna lie about that oh yeah yeah and the back day, thing I, is a big thing yeah the back i had spine surgery i got a scar on you see it and a scar right there on my neck right there that it goes to the front of my neck and open it up and fuse my vertebrae together several oh years God. ago from an injury and yeah and so um when it gets cold outside or something i wake up i'm like oh gosh i'm getting old holy cow where am i gonna be when i'm 80 if i even make it that far you know so <laughs> I need a temporary loan. I know. I know. Can you loan me a new body? <laughs> What's funny is I used to never sit in my director chair at all on set because I'm always up moving around. The older I get, the more I'm like, I could sit a little bit here now. Let me just take a little break here and lean back a little bit. So mm -hmm. I, I, I'm a very, very active director on set when I move around. You know, I try to be anyway because I feel like I, I want to give that, you know, energy to the actors working. But the older I get, at the end of the day, I'm like, I'll sit down for a few minutes. You guys, you guys are good. Do your thing. As long yeah. as you don't sit and just, you yeah. guys take it from here. <laughs> <laughs> My AD's good. He's got you. He's got you. You're good. Just, uh, I'm like old grandpa sitting in the corner over here. What are you going to do with pops? You can't sit here. Wheel him in the garage or something. We got company coming over. I'm like, yeah, I know. That's me. So. <laughs> no, Age, I, aging sucks sometimes. I know. <laughs> I know. I'm fighting it though. Fighting it, fighting it. But it's okay. 
not too bad. Yeah. Oh my God, that's so funny. Good <laughs> Lord. So what else have you been up to besides learning Japanese and well, now you're not doing football. What else? What other yeah. hobbies you throwing yourself into? We've been working on our show for quite some time and that's, that's taken a lot of time, you know, being in the writer's room for that. And uh, when the writer's strike hit, it did, it did give us a break and we haven't really regrouped since then because we do what we do have all of our episodes for season one done now at the moment. Um, they're tentatively done. I mean, of course things will change when it goes into production as it gets there, but for now it's done at the moment. So it's a little bit of time to focus on other things. Um, uh, oh, uh, I don't even know if you knew this since we last spoke. Uh, since we last spoke, my house burned down. Um, Are you serious? Yeah. yeah, my house burned down. We just moved back in. I'm at my house now. We just moved back in uh, maybe three months ago after being out for like 18 months. So, um, yeah. Carla's going through the same thing as you are. Uh, yeah. Carla, Christina Contreras from the right. Screen Actors Guild. Right. She's going through the same damn thing right Holy now. Cow. Wow. Yeah. It's hard. It's, it's, it's a weird thing because I was, so I was home doing a zoom just like this, exactly like this. Uh, 12 o'clock I was coaching an actor. It was at noon. And, um, I came home just to coach this actor. She had an audition. She submitted it. And, um, her agent came back and says, no, we can't submit this. It's just not good at all. So she, uh, she was in one of our, um, she's one of our masterclass actors. And she told me that night, she goes, I don't know what to do. I did this audition. I did a self tape. My agent hates it. Will not submit it. And I said, well, let me, let me look at it and I can help you out with this thing. Cause I hadn't seen the material yet. And so I said, so tomorrow at noon, call me and I can, I can help coach you. Cause she just made some, I guess, some decisions that didn't play in the character. I don't know what it was. So at noon, we start talking. I, I come back. Um, we start the zoom. I'm at home and uh, at 1205, all the power in the house goes <clears throat> zoom, cut out everything. I'm like, that's weird. What's happening. So I sent her a message. I'm like, Hey, power went out. Let me get it restored. I'll zoom back. As soon as it gets up, I'll text you when I'm back up. So I'm like, what the heck's going on? I walked out of my living room and I see smoke. And I'm like, what is going on? Why is there smoke in my living? I was home by myself. It made no, I didn't even, didn't even fathom the idea of a house fire. It didn't even cross my mind. I'm like, why is there smoke in my living room? It was so bizarre. And my, my brain was like, is, is somebody like grilling outside and somehow the smoke's coming? It didn't even, I can't even explain how much denial I was in at that moment. It was a house fire. Yeah. I'm like, what is, so I, I walk out my back porch, which is kind of where I am now. I walk around the corner of the house and um, I'm like, what is happening here? And uh, I see smoke coming up from the roof. And I put the ladder up there. I walk up and I literally see flames on my roof. And I'm like, why are there flames? In my it still didn't even process. It was happening so real. It was such a surreal moment. I didn't even process. It was a real fire at this point. I still couldn't figure out why is there smoke coming on my roof? And then I saw the flames and I was like, holy crap, my roof's on fire. So I came back down the ladder, ran inside. I grabbed a um, towel and I grabbed my phone. I was running back upstairs. I'm calling 911. I'm up with the roof and I'm fighting the fire with the towel. I'm on the call with 911. I said, my house is on fire. Um, uh, and they said they would send somebody out, firefighters. And um, I hung up the phone. And it, it happened so fast. I don't really remember everything, but it seemed like it was 20 minutes where the firefighters came up. But I'm on my roof. I'm fighting the fire. My neighbor comes running over. Of course, flames are like everywhere now, my whole roof. And he runs over and he's yelling at me. That he's former LA SWAT. And um, he's a big old guy. looks like a professional wrestler. And he's like, get off the roof now. It's going to collapse. No and, I, and I'm like, hand me the hose. <laughs> give me the garden hose. Give me the garden hose. He's like, get off the damn roof. I'm like, give me the garden hose. So he gives me the garden hose and I'm trying to run. I'm spraying water all over like in my attic and everything. I mean, there's a little hole like vents and everything. Spraying water in the vents and smoke's just going everywhere. There's black smoke all over the place. Um, I uh, couldn't see anything. It was bright. My eyes are burning and I'm fighting it. Um, as I get there, finally, the firefighters come down the street. Uh, they put the big ladder, they get up on the roof. They talk me down. They're like, you have to get off the roof now. And I'm like, but I have to put the fire out. I didn't even register with me. These are firefighters. Like that's their job. Get off the roof. Let them do it. I'm like, all right. So they talk me down. I get off the roof and I'm, I go back and I stand in my driveway and I look back and flames are everywhere. Like my entire roof's on fire. Everybody in the neighborhood's come out at this point to see what's going on. Wow. And I didn't even think at the time I was barefoot. Um, I'd been up there on the roof. Uh, firefighters come and they, they get me back. They, they put a pair of shoes on me and I, they got, I don't know where they got from my closet or something, but the shoes, I put them on and I'm standing there and I'm watching the fire for about 20 minutes. Um, they're working to get it out and they're doing an amazing job. Firefighter came out and he says, what's important? Where is it? I said, 
I said, we have a box in our closet of valuable documents. It's in a folder. And in my office, I have hard drives. He said, I'll do what I can. He runs in the house. He comes back. He's got the documents, sets them down. Comes back, got hard drives, brought them out as a box. Right? He goes, what's next? What's next valuable? And he's talking to me very directly. I've never been in this situation. And I'm trying to like tell him where things are. And he goes, I'll see what I can do. Comes in. Anyway, my feet at that point started really hurting. And I'm like, God, these shoes are so tight. It doesn't make any sense. Um, and I kind of fought it. I didn't realize my feet were already incredibly burnt up from standing on the roof in the fire. I had no clue. They were just all ripped to hell. Um, had no clue because you get the adrenaline gone. You don't feel it. You know, you don't think anything of it. Yeah. Um, so finally, the firefighters are putting the fire out. Uh, my wife called me at some point. She's like, hey, I'm she picked up my daughter from school. So luckily, my daughter wasn't home. Uh, my mother-in-law was with my, my wife. So she wasn't in the house either. It was my dog and I. My dog was out. My dog was fine. My neighbor was holding my dog. And um, she goes, hey, I'm trying to come home, but I can't get on. Like, the firefighters have blocked off the whole dang neighborhood. I don't know what the hell's going on. And I said, that's our house on fire. She went, ha ha, yeah, LOL. And I'm like, no, for real. Like, that's our house on fire. Um, so anyway, after some time, she got in and um, the fire basically destroyed every single thing we owned. Um, and it's not even the flames, it's the smoke damage that does all the work. Yeah. Smoke gets infused and like everything, anything fabric is trash. It's all gone because you can't wash it out. It's not because it just it, infuses with the dna of the fabric or whatever the heck's going on um so luckily the most important stuff got saved but everything else was gone um wow. so that was oh tough um so they insurance did a pretty good job of helping us out uh we were insured which is good we went to a temporary hotel that night with nothing like nothing but the clothes on my back that's all i had and even that smelled like smoke because i was fighting the fire um so it was a tough time uh, my daughter lost all of her stuff, um, but it was a good lesson about how things are just material stuff anyway. You know, and that was it good, is. So. I mean, material, the the shitty part, because that's what I was talking to Carla about earlier, actually, um, materials can be replaced. Right. But the only shitty part, because I've been through two house uh, fires and God. it's the stuff like your pictures and right. stuff like that, that, you know, for a fact can't be replaced. Right. Which is the reason yeah. I wanted the hard drives. The hard drives had all of our pictures and things like that. on it. That's yeah. what I wanted to try to salvage and get that. But I wasn't worried about like, I, I wasn't like save my computer because it wasn't on the computers on the hard drive. It wasn't like save the TVs. That's fine. Whatever. Um, but they did a pretty good job about saving the important stuff. Um, and then we live in a hotel for a long time. And uh, ironically enough, our hotel caught on fire the very first week we're in there. Are you serious? I was like, what, the fuck? what is happening? I know. Um, so in, in LA, there's a lot of, there's a lot of homeless because our, our weather's reasonably warm all year. Not that it's warm, yeah. warm. It doesn't get cold for sure, but um, there's a, a homeless population. So where they had us, they had us um, at a hotel that is right on the corner of a freeway entrance, the 101 freeway. And there's a homeless encampment kind of behind in the woods. And I guess whatever they were doing, they started a fire and the flames. My wife sent me a picture. She's like, our hotel's on fire. And I, again, I wrote this time, like, yeah, right. Ha ha. No, it was for real. I guess they started a fire and it burnt right up next to the hotel. So they had to evacuate the hotel at that point. Insurance were like, we got to go somewhere else. So they moved us to a different hotel and we were in that for a couple months. And then we ended up moving to a temporary house uh, in our neighborhood, just down the street, not too far. And we lived there up until, uh, just a few months ago. So dealing with that and moving now three times was uh, a bit of a thing, trying to balance our lives and handle everything. And just the traumatic like stress that is involved with my daughter being a kid going through this. I can't even imagine that coming off of COVID too, which all the, you know, the COVID, what that damage that's done to kids and, and socially, you know, it's just, uh, it's tough. Um, that is crazy. What started it at, in so your house? It was electrical. Uh, I guess uh, I'm not really sure exactly. We have theories. We had a big giant tree, which was ironically, I don't know if you can see it. There's a big gap like right over there. There was a big giant oak tree right there. Yeah. Uh, that fell down. We had a, a rainstorm. It doesn't ever rain in LA. So it rained. And when it rained, um, the big oak tree just collapsed. A humongous tree. And it landed really like right, right in between. Um, like I've got my, uh, like a nice little koi pond out here. It's fun. My deck it landed right up. She didn't hit anything. And it was so convenient that it landed perfectly like that. It was just, it was I'm a blessing that it landed and land on the house. So two weeks after that is when we had the fire. So the theory is when the big oak tree fell, 
that somehow the roots underneath lifted up underneath the house mm-hmm. because there was uh, wires in the, the ceiling that got pinched somehow. And so we're thinking maybe it wasn't, you know, uh, it wasn't like anybody's fault. It was just somehow the, the wires got pinched. And when they did the arson, they did arson investigation, of course, because it's insurance thinking, you know, make sure we didn't set the fire. And he found where it was. And he goes, it looks like the, this wire has been sparking for a few weeks. So it looks like and we had really high winds that day. And we think the winds just caught it and it went up. Um, the scary thing was it was in the attic. So by being in the attic, I saw the flames and the smoke before the fire, de- fire alarms went off, fire detectors, because smoke rises. Yeah. So being in the attic, smoke went up. So we, I mean, if it had happened in the middle of the night, whew, we'd have been gone. I mean, knock on wood, it didn't happen. But that's scary. Yeah. So now we have now we have smoke detectors in the attic too because that's I never even thought about that never crossed my mind but I never would have heard if it happened midnight one o'clock in the morning. Yeah, know? I mean, especially if the the you know they didn't go off to even during right. the day, let alone at night, that would right. have not ended well at all. Right, and it happened right above my office where I was working. So if I hadn't come out, I mean, luckily I guess the power got shut off because it burnt through the wires or whatever. If it hadn't shut off, I would have been trapped in my office with no way out. So it's a lot of like potential scary stuff, but I'm happy to be here. Um, you know, <laughs> as it goes through. That and is crazy, man. I yeah, know. no shit. I'm glad nothing happened to you guys. Yeah, I know. That's just yeah. it. I don't know what the hell is going on with all the fires lately. You know, yeah. it, it's just crazy. But when you mentioned hotel, I went to my son's wedding in Texas and it was God, it was probably like 1130 at night. The whole damn, the alarm system started going off in the hotel. Luckily, it was nothing to do with the fire. Thank God it was somebody in there smoking in the hotel. Right. And set the alarm off. But oh, my God. I I just saw recently it was a wedding that uh, these people tragically died. They put some kind of like fire effect in there. They were shooting off sparks and the whole ceiling caught on fire and it was horrible. Really? I don't know. I don't mess with fire now at all. I I'm I'm have a whole new respect for fire after going through something like that. I can't you believe know? your ass stayed on the roof <laughs> after, after they're sitting there telling you get the hell down. I was like, I was like, no, I'm putting my fire on. They're like, that's what we're here to do, and I didn't register. <clears throat> I guess we have um we have an app called the Citizens app in Los Angeles. I don't, I'm sure it goes other places, but. You can, you can log in the citizens app. If you see something going on, you can do a live feed and people can log into your neighborhood and see what's going in your neighborhood. And I guess um, my friend who I called back when I was on the zoom, I said, my house on fire. She goes, I know I'm watching right now on the citizens app. And I guess somebody posted a video. Some crazy person is on the roof with a garden hose. I'm, a, I'm expecting they're I, I assume they're the homeowner trying to put the fire out. They're nuts. And they're like commenting their video. I haven't seen the video, but I'm up there, I guess, trying to fight this fire like a moron barefoot. You know, I <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't let the people do their job. I got it. Get out of here. I got it. That's my audition for one of those firefighter shows, you know, on, on TV. Well, you better get it after that shit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I want to direct it and write it. I don't want to, I don't want to act in it anymore. I just want to direct it and write it. So <laughs> you should, I know, I know. You should. I'm telling say, you. Oh my write God. what you know. I have firsthand experience now in that. So it's, uh, <laughs> I just can't believe that you just jumped. Well, I mean, the ladder and then you came down, then go back up. Oh, my God, man. I would have just had to sit back like, oh, shit, you know, because it's on the roof. I'm not climbing up there. There's no (laughs) way, you know, sorry. I'm just going to wait for them. Right. Try to grab what I can anyway, you know. Well, my first thought was that it was leaves that had fallen off of like the big oak tree that was here. Yeah. Like there were leaves on our roof. And so my first thought was, it's just on the surface, the leaves are on fire, like not the actual structure yeah. until I saw, and I was up there at that point until I saw the smoke coming out from, and it was coming on our far side of our house over there. My neighbor was over there. He was yelling, you know, over there. Cause it was coming out on his side as well. And he was, he got the garden hose on that side. He was trying to put it, put the fire out and hit, you know, it was, it was a, it was a neighborhood event that was going on, you know? Jesus, man. Yeah. That's yeah, but the firefighters were so cool. They were so amazing. They were they were so calm and professional. I, I didn't know what to expect, but they were really, really cool with everything. And they were very helpful all the way out. And the crazy thing is, as soon as we, and I'm, I'm probably gonna write a movie about this at some point because it's just too, too fun. Um, as soon as it was happening, like the fires on my roof, literally still blazing, I'm standing in my driveway. We had people who were listening in on scanners 
who came in and goes, hey, I'm with Home Restoration. Here's my card. Hey, I'm an attorney. Here's my card. Hey, call me. And like, can my house stop burning down before you're soliciting your services? Like you're an ambulance chaser. Get the hell away from me. It was a mess. And then my wife came in. She really started like going off on them to, to all back up. Seriously? Were, that's what they did? That's what they did. As the fire is on my roof, they are literally handing me their cards. Like, hey, call me. Here's this. They were trying to, I was like, oh my gosh. Wow. That must be some LA type shit. I mean, yeah. I, I get it, you know, because anywhere else, it's not like that. People aren't going to come up and be like, so do you need your house painted? <laughs> you know I mean? That's kind of what it was. We do fire res restoration. We do this. We do this. We do this. Hey, if you need to sue somebody, here's this. Um, we go after insurance companies. We go after, you know, whatever it is. And I was like, oh my God. And so at the end of the day, we had a whole stack of cards from people who were right there. And they just hung back and they waited just so they could get one-on-one -on -one time to talk after. You know, companies that do, and they, they were listening in on the scanners and they heard fire in, in uh, I live in Sherman Oaks, a neighborhood in Los Angeles. Fire in Sherman Oaks, they came flying over just to solicit services. I'm like, so wow, they did cannonball run to your house so they could give you a card. Exactly. That's some bullshit. Pretty, pretty shady stuff. Yeah, it is. Know. It is. I, I would have had the police remove them. I, I would have told the cop, hey, get get this person off the lawn because right now yeah. I'm yeah. ready to wring somebody's neck, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was still taking my wife was the one arguing with him. She was she was getting mad at him. She she said some things to him to get him out, to get him back, which is good. Wow. And uh it was it was really kind of kind of interesting watching that side of it with my wife getting powerful with it, which was fun. Um, you know, because I would have let her she, go. She, she kicked them butt. I did, I did. I was like, no, you got it. Take care of it. That's great. She was handling it. So wow, that that's just freaking uh, insane. <laughs> so that's what I've been up to. Uh, yeah. Trying to work, work movies, our studio, work uh, this TV show, and with my daughter starting middle school in a fire. So it's uh, been a lot since we last spoke, Daphne. I'll tell you. You know. Hell yeah, it has. I'm serious <laughs> for both of us. Right. I mean, I've had I've had a really crazy year myself. Um, <clears throat> my brother passed away in February. And um, then my nephew, and they were the same age, they were raised together, ended up passing away in August. Holy so God. it was back to back, not to mention, I mean, I know there's a lot of people out there about animals, but technically I've went through five in wow. one year, because we had lost two cats that were brothers, which was screwed up the same year months apart. And then all of a it, it's it's kind of weird the way that happened because it was one cat in March and the other cat in August. Then it was my brother, February, March, you know, and then the nephew, August. It was so weird. And then my neighbor died over here and I was good friends with him. And it was just everything that happened this year. It's just been, oh my God, so crazy on top of what lot. I've been doing. And I, I had to deal with that whole death, my brother's death anyway, myself. So yeah, I went and um, I had to handle all the planning. Then I had to be the, I was the one who went and identified him. I was in a room by myself with him on a slab. Yeah. It, it's just been crazy. I mean, a crazy ass year for me. Right. And I've just literally thrown myself into my work. Everybody's like, what are you doing? Working. What are you doing? Yeah. Working. And I'm talking from probably 9 30, 10 a.m. until 4 a.m. every single day because yeah. I've literally thrown myself into the work. And it's just, it's been a shitty ass year. I'll be glad to get it over with. I'm telling you. <laughs> right. I'll be real glad to get this year over with because I can imagine. It just needs to, to be done. Yeah. It's wow. crazy. But, you know, you deal with it and you have to move on. Yeah, it's all part of life and it gives you experience and, you know, yep. positive and negative. The, the negative makes you appreciate the positive. Like the house fire made me appreciate so many other things. Everything you go through makes you appreciate other things in life. And if everything is easy, you don't appreciate it. You know, and yeah. it's, it's you go through some bad, crappy stuff at times. You know, everybody does. And uh, everybody can relate yeah. to bad, crappy stuff at times, too. But, you know, you come through another side and you have experiences like making my first movie, 10,000 Mistakes. Well, it was crappy. It was terrible. But I learned from it. Everything you go through, you know, deaths, uh, tragedy, fires, whatever it is, it, you know, you get through it and it makes you stronger as a person, but also gives you an appreciation of the good things. No. Yeah. I mean, I've always been that type of person where, you know, the material shit. You know, mm -hmm. but this year, one thing I did learn after all of that 
was life insurance is a big damn deal. You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he was young, so he wasn't even thinking about that. Right. You know, and it's just like after I had to deal with everything, I'd never planned no funeral ever. Yeah. So it was just like, yeah, I'm going to set shit up and get the life insurance, which I wasn't even thinking about it, you know, until right. until that all happened. But after that, it's just, but material, material shit. That's what I try to tell everybody, you know, like when we're doing these interviews with the directors and everything, you know, everybody I bring on, they're so cool, but there are people out there that are above D with their materialistic shit. And <laughs> I try to make it clear, like that shit doesn't matter. It doesn't right. matter. You can't take that with you when you die. You need to be exactly. normal, be humble, be a good friggin' person. You know, you cannot just base yourself on materialistic shit because nobody cares. Yeah. You can't take yeah. it. They're not going to bury you with it. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. I mean, <laughs> would you rather be loved or liked or would you rather be known for, you know, being a materialistic ass? Yeah, you know? exactly. I'm sorry. I, I care more about humans and feelings and helping people versus being up there and being an ass. You exactly. know, material, I've lost so much shit in my life to where materialistic shit can always be replaced. Every bit of it. Exactly. And you, and you learn what you don't really need also, you know. That's true. Yeah. Yep. And when we inventoried everything we lost, part of it was a little embarrassing at times too, because it's like, wow, we had a lot of crap. Like, I didn't need all this crap. I didn't need it. You know, I didn't need it. three quarters of the stuff, you know, 80% of it, 90% of it. And, you know, why do we hold on to it? Who knows? Maybe nostalgic value, whatever it is, but. <laughs> there's, a, there's an accumulation and you know i know in la especially there's this you know the the idea of it's um you know the status of having things you know but once you get past that everybody's on the same level and if you can look past that which is you know we're trying to do here so my daughter we never stress that you know uh, anything with her it's not a big deal like and she never she never put it that i'm on a show i'm better than you and that, that never crossed her mind because we never raised her like that yeah. You know, and uh, and that's the mentality we're trying to get, which I think it's not about the material stuff. It's not about the, yeah. the job stuff, you know. Uh, it's just about being being a good person, trying to help other people and, you know, and yeah. live life to the fullest, you know, and trying to. And it's easier right said than there. done, for sure. But that's what it is. And, you know, and and being able to spend time and be part of a family, be part of things outside, because the, the work is one thing. And, you know, if you get um, so wrapped up in that all the time, it will take over, you know, yeah. and. And in LA, especially there's this material. And I tell the actors, like it's all the time from actors. I said, what is, what is your goal? They're like, well, I came out to LA. I'm giving myself a year to make it. I hear that all the time. I'm like, make it. What does that mean? Make it a year to make it. What does that mean? Because the thing with this industry is what you got a, a national commercial. It doesn't mean you made it, but that's great. That's a big accomplishment. Congrats. That's awesome. But at the same time, once you get a taste of that, you work one day at a national commercial, you make $25,000 or whatever it is for one day. You're like, oh my God, that was insane. It's hard to go back to a nine to five. doesn't mean you made it. So then what you book a, an independent film as a little tiny role. Well, that's great. But then you want more. Then you want more. Then you get your first network TV credit as a co-star. You get three lines on a TV show. Oh my God, that was amazing. Now I want to have a bigger part. Now I want to get a full scene that's I'm the star of the scene. Now I want to get a guest star where the, the show's about me. Now I want to get a recurring role where I've got three, three or four episodes on it. Now I want to get a leading role, a series regular. Now I want to do a big studio film. It never ends. And so there is no made it in my eyes. And you have to just accept where you are and be okay with that. I think that there's a lot of... Um, misinformation out there where actors it's, it's a tough business because as actors directors writers everything if you're not careful you'll never be satisfied with anything and it's this insatiable desire that a lot of people don't even understand they have where they're never going to be satisfied no matter what and it's learning how to separate that and not define that as your own self-worth or your happiness because everybody somebody's always going to have more work than you someone's gonna have a nicer car than you they're gonna have a nicer house than you whatever it is and if you're always trying to catch up to them you're never gonna be happy with anything you know exactly I, I mean I, i'm right there on that same wave because like you said making it okay there is no guarantee that everybody that goes into this film industry is going to make it you yeah, know what i even, mean <laughs> not even close not even close yeah. but i mean there are other things you know once you take jobs on these sets you could be happier doing something else you right. know in the industry but you don't have to get cocky about it right? Absolutely. because then you're going to lose that so-called following that you have because right. you're cocky. 
you know? (laughs) Yeah. Seriously, people don't get it. They, they don't. And hopefully one day they will, but I doubt it, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I know. It's hard. One of my, one of my buddies has been a close friend for many years. Name's Kiko Ellsworth. Kiko is, um, he's been on lots of TV shows, lots of movies. If you ever watch bad boys two with Will Smith and uh, Martin Lawrence, he was, they, they fight the Haitians in bad boys two. He's the blonde Haitian with the dreadlocks in bad boys two, one of the main bad guys. And um, so Kiko, when he got that movie, um, he became very arrogant. And we've had discussions about this. And Will Smith pulled him aside one day. He's like, what are you doing? It's like, what do you mean? He's like, why are you acting like that? Like, you're acting like you're better than everybody else. This is a job. Like, you're lucky to have it. It can go away. And I don't remember exactly what Will said to him, but it put things in perspective. And of course, Will Smith had his own issues in the past, too, with everything he's been, you know, dealing with. But it put things in perspective for Kiko and he changes a person at that point. It, it put things like, wait, I don't have to put on this front that I'm better than you because I'm in a big movie or things like that. And it changed his outlook. And when I, I became friends with Kiko, he did my very first movie as an actor in 2005. And I had uh, known him just vaguely because as an actor, I did a movie with Kiko in 2002 or something where I first met. And um, I remember when I did my movie, I was talking to him and, um, and I, I wanted to, thank him for the first time we met because he was really cool in that movie set and um uh, i actually auditioned for the role that he got i had no idea i'm about to audition for this role and it's one it's my first leading role audition and i'm about to audition for it i'd never read for the director before i got named jl davis i'd never been in the casting office casting director was pamela staten never been in a big office like this in my life and right before i go to read the director says i don't know if i should tell you now or after you read and i'm like what well, don't drop that bomb on me for my audition. Like, tell me now. Right. And he goes, and I was like, that doesn't do me any good. He goes, well, the part you're reading for was just cast. We had an offer out to a name actor and he took it. So um, there is no more role. And I said, oh, uh, okay. Um, I said, well, uh, I prepared for this role. I've never been in the office. If you guys have time, I'd love to still at least read for you so you can at least get a feel of who I am. You know, I understand the role has been taken and, and they agreed. It was really nice. And I read for the role. And um, of course, I didn't get it. But um, I got a call a few days later. My agent called and said that J.L. Davis and Pamela Staten, after I read, uh, I guess, appreciated that. And they actually wrote a small part in the movie for me, which is really cool. Yeah, a cool. movie called The Diplomat. And I got to play the, the, the boyfriend of the girl that was kidnapped in this. Dip- the movie is about she heard and kidnapped. And I played the boyfriend. So a couple lines, not a big deal, but it was my okay. first big film. And um so when I show up on set, I want to see who this guy is that got the part over me. And it was Kiko. So he walks out and, oh my God, he, I wanted to hate him. He was so nice. And I was like, I was like, dude, be a jerk, be a jerk. So I can hate you. He was so cool. He was so nice. Um, but then years later when we talked, he didn't remember the first time we met. And I asked him um, about that. And he goes, oh my God, I, I'm so sorry. Was I a jerk to you or was I nice? I said, no, you were super nice. He goes, okay, good. Cause I was, a, I was a jerk to a lot of people and that is, I regret it. It was my, my encounter was after his Will Smith moment, you know, as it went on. Um, and it, it put things in perspective right there to always be nice to everybody, no matter what. Um, and then it's just stuff like getting a role doesn't mean you're better than anybody else. And it really it kind of put me in check early in my career, too. And that was a big lesson. And That's awesome that Will checked him like that. You know what I mean? Right. Because and I've liked well, well, I still like Will. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The well, my favorite movie by Will Smith, honestly. I know he's done the new ones, but my favorite one is The Pursuit of Happiness. Oh, he's great. Yeah. Because absolutely. I've been not well, I've been in this like that situation when I was young. So I felt that. You know what I mean? Because right. I, I just felt it. Especially that bathroom scene. When he's in that bathroom. You know, with the with the little boy, his son, Jaden. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think. But oh my God. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. So I mean, to check somebody that's yeah. almost about to lose it because they made it. Right. <laughs> and know? and that was that was the mentality, I think. And I, I don't want to put words in Kiko's mouth because he's he's been very vocal about this himself. That's why I feel yeah. comfortable speaking on it. And we've become really good friends. I've That's known Kiko awesome. now for almost 20 years. You know, uh, we've actually produced two movies together. We've um, he's been in several of my movies, uh, or we, he has a daughter, my daughter's age, they grew up together. So, um, I don't know the exact, I don't remember the exact, I don't want to misquote, but that was the gist of what happened, but it put things in perspective that no matter what you get, it doesn't mean you're better than anybody else. Yeah. And, and you know, it's just a thing. It's just, it's just what we're doing. We're making movies, we're directing, we're writing, we're acting, whatever it is. And, it's um, jobs. 
jobs. Jobs. jobs. Uh, It's a job. That's I've stressed that so many times on these. It's a job. It doesn't make anybody better than the other. Some jobs are just more fun. Yeah. You know, some jobs aren't that fun. It just right. depends on where you're at. You know what I mean? But right. it's it's a job. You mm-hmm. know, it's there's no point in ever acting like you're ever better than anybody else because right. it doesn't matter. You know, you can be up here and then boom. Oh, yeah. It can go away. I, and it's, I mean, That's it. House yeah. fire. Top of the world. Next day, house burns down. Done. Back to level one. It can be yeah. any, any regard can happen to anybody at any time. So um, having that appreciation, you know, I, I try to have that appreciation. Um with everything. Yeah. Uh, and it's hard sometimes because you, you want things, you want to have success and I want to see my family happy and do things. And when it doesn't always happen, you, you like, Oh, come on. But, um, you know, just living in the moment and appreciating it. And, um, that's what we're trying to do. We try to teach that at our studio for actors too, that if they're a jerk right now, before they've even done anything, no one's ever going to want to work with them, Yeah, you know, and teaching them how to be a professional actor, showing up on set, being on time, being ready to work and contributing, not just like, I, I need this and this and this. I want my dressing room to have this. I want my dressing room to have this. And I've dealt with actors like that. I've fired actors like that. My very first film, the biggest, the biggest name in our entire film. She was a lead on a, a major television series. I knew her before she had a credit on her resume. We were in the same acting class together when I first started. And that was the connection. So when her show ended, um, I asked her if she would be the lead in our movie. And she said, yes. And she came to set and it was this incredible diva attitude and energy. My crew just did not want to work with her. She was rude. She was mean. So five days in, I had to fire her, even though knowing it, she was the biggest name in our movie and she was a name that could potentially sell the movie, but I had to fire her because it was just not the right fit. And, uh, and that was really, really hard because of my first film, first film I'd ever done as a director and getting rid of your only like big name in the entire thing was really a challenge. But for me, it was the sacrifice. I was like, I don't want to work with somebody who is this thing. Like, I need, I mean, literally it was, I need this kind of ice cream at three in the morning or I'm not working. I need this kind of salad or I'm not working. And it was like, wait a minute. Seriously? This isn't that kind of movie. This isn't a $200 million movie. My first, my first budget at 256 or $257,000 budget, which is not a lot of money for a feature film. It's, I mean, it's, it's a lot of, it's a quarter million dollars, a lot of money, but it's not a lot of money for a feature film to put it all in. And, you know, she knew that going in. She, and to make those demands, it was just, and she was rude and it you know, if it would have been before going in, I would have just went a different direction to begin with. <laughs> she, was, she was fine going in. I did have I did have some issues with her agent a little bit, kind of showing a little bit of that diva side, but I chalked it up to her agent being an agent. Um, you know, with uh with the the air air accommodations and things like that. They had a layover and the agent was like, No, she needs to fly straight, she doesn't need to, you know. And I'm like, okay, well, she, she didn't want to fly alone, so she's flying with a cast member who's a friend of hers. And so the only flight we could get this last minute was we're battling all this stuff, but I chalked up the agent. But when she got there and said it was attitude and ego and it's like, wow, it's just too much. You I know? can't deal with divas. Yeah. I'm too grounded. I'm too down to earth yeah. <laughs> to deal with a diva. It'd rather it be a guy or a girl because guys right. can be the same way. You oh, know yeah. what I mean? I just For sure. can't do it. Definitely sure. can do it. In fact, Jonathan Brack, who I mentioned earlier, who's the creeper in the Jeepers Creepers movies. So I did a movie with him in Lawton, Oklahoma, of all places, uh, back in 2000, like three or four, and military base. So we we go to shoot and we fly into airport and in, I think in maybe Dallas and we drove up to Lawton. I don't remember exactly. It was a long time ago. But when I get there, this production assistant picks us up at the airport, loads my bags in the back of the car. Uh, we go to the airport. He checks us in. He's like, here's your hotel key. Um, I'll be picking you guys up in the morning at this time. He's been on a lot. Totally, really awesome production assistant. It's really amazing. So nice. So friendly. If you have any questions, call me. Um, I'm in room, you know, whatever, 115, whatever it was. Great. Guy's amazing. Next day, pick us up in the morning. Hey, you guys sleep okay? Anything you need? No, he's amazing. We drive onto the set. We get in there. I see the director. I meet the director for the first time because at the audition, you don't meet the director. You, they're in the background watching. You don't talk to them. So I get to meet the director for the first time, a guy named David Henry. And um, we're sitting there on our big, big like set. And we're in the Lawton, Oklahoma. It's a military base out there. And the PA, the director goes up and goes, hey, congrats, man. Your movie's number one in the box office in the country right now. And we're like, wait, what? The production assistant? He goes, yeah, that's Jonathan Breck. He plays the Creeper. He's the star of the Jeepers Creepers movie, which is number one in the country right now, Jeepers Creepers 2. 
And I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, he's the star of this movie. No clue. Because he was so humble. And he's like, hey, I've already checked in. Let me help. Never once he'd be like, I'm a big star. And that energy really stuck with me forever. You yeah. know? He never once bragged about anything. He just did his thing. And he was helping us out. And he was so gracious. And he was amazing. And I, I really... I, I said, I want to be like that. I want to have that energy yeah. where it's, it's no, everybody's on the same playing field. We're all trying to come together for a common goal of telling the best story. And he was awesome at that. So uh, forever. That's a creepy ass movie, man. I know. <laughs> I've I know. seen, I think it was what I've seen one or two of them. Oh yeah. my God. And yeah. then the music. Oh yeah. <laughs> just like. Oh yeah. And I love horror movies. You know what I mean? But just that music and then that guy. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, And we actually went to the theater. It was fun. We went to the theater in Oklahoma while it was still playing yeah. and sat there with him and watched the movie. I think he was more embarrassed. We were all with him, you know, watching it. But we kind of made him do it. Uh, but it was really cool. I'm like the number one movie in America right now. And I'm sitting next to the star of the movie. But he's as humble as he could be. And you never, never in a million years would have known it. And I, I really thought that's that's really cool. That's really, really cool. You know, so yeah. All right. I'm going to wrap this interview up. I want okay. you to stay on. Um, all right, you guys, thank you for watching. We are definitely saying, thank God you are still here with us, David. And thank you for being on here. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad I can be here today. <laughs> yeah, right. All right, guys. See you later. Thank you for having me. Bye guys.